pray that you would help us not only to understand it, but to hear you speak to us, to understand what it means for, for us, what you want us to do or be. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not working. I don't know why it's not working. I don't know if it's the battery or what it is. Can we go to the next slide, Gary, please? <coughs> Elijah was a man who, at one point in his life, he, he had a desire that he wanted to have, thank you, a good um, influence upon people, but he wanted also to be, like, famous. He wanted to be impressive. He wanted to be better than his fathers had been. And back in chapter 19, you may remember that he actually grieves that when he's heading for depression and burnout, <clears throat> he actually... Uh, criticizes himself he says I'm no better than those who went before me I wanted to be but I'm not well God met with him in the midst of that burnout and restores him and if you look back over his life he grew up uh, amidst rampant idolatry under the worst king that Israel had had up until that point in time and for pretty much much of his ministry was under the judgment of God Israel had been disobedient and they were heading for exile. Judgment was coming. Exile was coming. And Elijah, through prayer, called down the three-and-a-half-year drought, if you remember that. <clears throat> he was hidden for years in ministry, secluded, locked away, and then um, even given just to one family. Instead of ministering to the public, he was ministering simply to one family. Isolated first by himself, raised uh, by trained by the brook Cherith and then shaped and refined, if you like, by that family in Zarephath, the widow and her son. Um, God had taken him out of the country, so totally removed him from Israel and any influence that he could have there. Uh, but then God brought him back. And 1 Kings 18, he, God gives him a national platform where he calls all of Israel to repentance and he calls fire down from heaven, rather dramatic way and uh, then he goes to the top of the mountain and he prays and the rain returns. So he was used magnificently and powerfully on Mount Carmel. And then God even anointed him to run before Ahab and to stand before Ahab. But after this highlight of his ministry, after this great moment, <clears throat> it's followed by um, depression, by great discouragement. It dawns upon him. He's under threat from Jezebel who threatens to kill him, but it's more than that he realises that Ahab is still the king, that Jezebel is still on the throne and she's worse than ever, and that Baal and the prophets are going to return. That which he had just removed would be restored. What was the point? Why all the prayer? Why all the effort? Why all the sacrifice and the waiting? What have I accomplished? What difference have I made? And in the midst of all of that, God met him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God gave him a new commission, gave him something to do, which is often the cure or the assistance for helping people come out of depression, change the focus, instead of being upon yourself and spiralling down, lift your eyes and help others. And God gives him three things to do, of which he manages to achieve two. So the latter years of his life, we know very little about it after this point. We only know a little. And he accomplished less than he wanted, but he achieved more than he knew. 
he had an influence and an influence that went on. This has died. No, it hasn't. Um, so let me come to the very last day, which is where we where Rhonda read from in um, 1 Kings chapter 2. This is the last day. If I went over the last years, just, uh, just to repeat it very quickly, he returns. God gave him a promise about the 7,000 who won't bear the knee to Baal, but God most of all gave him a colleague, a partner, a fellow prophet, which was Elisha, who stuck with him like glue. So then we come to the last day of Elijah's life, having passed over several years, perhaps even up to 10 years, commentators say, that he was with Elijah. He did something. When the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on the way to Gilgal, about, say, 15, 20 k, something like that. Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha says to him, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Elisha is aware this is the last day. So they go down to Bethel together. When they get to Bethel, the reason they're going there, the company of the prophet or the sons of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and they said to him, typical theological students, the sons of the prophets, the company of the prophets, is like um, a little seminary, a little theological Bible college type thing. And that started with Samuel. But now there were three particularly that we think Elijah had started with Elisha. And these are sort of like the three campuses that he's now visiting on this, his last day on earth. And the theological students, the sons of the prophets, come out and they say to Elisha, do you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? To which Elisha said, yeah, I know. Be quiet. Now, it doesn't mean I don't think, shh, don't tell him. It's not that. I think it's more, don't ask questions. Today is the opportunity for you to talk to the master prophet, Elijah himself, the great man. Don't waste his time. Be quiet. Just let him go. Let me enjoy my last day with this guy. You know he's going, and I know he's going. And so that gets repeated then on the way to Jericho. Elijah says exactly the same thing. The Lord's told me to go here. You stay here, Elisha. No, as long as you live, I'm going to be with you. I won't leave you. They get to Jericho, the sons of the prophets, and Jericho say, do you know your master's going away? Yes, I know. Shh. Don't ask any theological questions. Say too when they come to Jordan. So this is the last day. He's doing a whole lot of travel. It's a farewell tour. A couple of things to note. Elijah knows this is the last day. He knows today is the day that he's leaving. I don't think he is aware of how he is leaving, but he knows his days are numbered and this is the end. In the midst of that, I want you to notice this. He seems very much to be at peace with God. He's not worried about death. He's continuing to do exactly what he has always done, just in a condensed form. Could you say, like Elijah obviously could, I have peace with God. I am right with God. I'm ready for that final trip, for that departure. If you're not, then don't wait till the last day. Do it today. Ask God to forgive you. Make your life right with God through the Lord Jesus. Do it today. When is your last day? We don't know, do we? There was a man on stage in New York City back in 1995 and he was singing the opening song. The opening song was about 
we don't know what day we'll die. He had a heart attack and died on stage. Remarkable. Not all of us are as dramatic as that. Do you know? Do you have peace with God? Well, Elisha certainly is wanting to enjoy and cherish their time together. And I think Elijah, in asking him, you know, stay here, I think he's testing him. There were a few tests for Elisha before he takes over the role, um, finding out what is in his heart. And the schools of the prophets, the sons of the prophets, if you like, that Elijah has come to say farewell to, I want you to observe that Elijah was effective in training and raising up the next generation. That's, what, that's often how God works. He raises up the next generation of those who are going to speak his word into the nation. It demonstrates, of course, God's goodness to us that he always is seeking to reach people who are far from him. So this was probably Elijah's most fruitful contribution of his ministry. And that's something I like about this church. We preach the Bible and we exalt the Christ of the Bible and it's central to us as a church. Amen? And I hope and trust that it will always be the case that Sunnybank District Baptist Church believes the Bible, proclaims the Bible, submits to the Bible, practices the Bible, obeys the Bible... May the Lord bring forth in us the next generation of teachers and preachers of his word, those who will love him, know him, and share his word to the world around us. And you're part of that. Child dedication reminds us that it's about generational things, and that even you as a church community will have a role in Franklin's life. That if you see him doing something wrong, if you wouldn't let your kids do it, then tell him to cut it out and then come and tell his mum or his dad don't tell his grandfather (laughs) tell his parents we need to watch one another's kids and thank you guys for opening up those last two rows this morning and maybe the providence of God all of the four of those rows were filled with young families this morning it's remarkable it's almost like we we prepared this way and then God says let's bring these families let's make room for kids Another part of this generational thing is that we are prepared as a congregation to put up with kids who are making a noise in church. Amen. I'd rather have the parents and the noisy child present than absent, wouldn't you? To a certain extent. (laughs) Parents have got to be aware too that if your child is making a disturbance... And take the kid out and thrash, uh, take them outside and, <laughs> and love them. Uh, it's always good when you hear kids. Now, the reverse of that is the case as well. It's not just kids, it's seniors. And the seniors need to have an influence over the kids, intergenerational, linking, sitting with one another. One of Pastor Tracy's goals, aims, is at the end of our service, and this is, we, Kids Church is a terrific ministry, and God bless all of those teachers who go out of it, and it'd be good for you guys to actually help, you know, even if it's just being a grandparent down there, just on a roster, whatever, take turns, and just to provide some godly wisdom. But anyway, at the end, all the young parents get up and go down there, and they have a wonderful time down there chatting together. Keep doing it. That's wonderful. Problem. The oldies are up here. The young families are down there. 
We've got to find a way, Tracy says, to bring them together. Which means we oldies are going to have to go halfway or something out there and maybe have morning tea out there and then they can come back a little bit so that there's cross-generational stuff. You like that idea? All six of you will do that, all right? <laughs> Intergenerational, that's certainly one of the things that I think... <laughs> Elisha is following Elijah. And way back in 1 Kings 19, you can see that um, Elijah was um, directed by God to pick him and to anoint him and to train him. And Elisha, when he committed himself and left home, uh, he stuck with Elijah and was loyal to him all the way up until this very day when God suddenly comes to take him home. So that's the last day. 50 men from the company of the prophets, 50 of them. So it's a rather large sort of theological seminary back in those days, and there's several of them, don't forget. They stood at a distance, so they're on top of a hill, if you like, and they're um, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha have gone down to the Jordan River. They get to the river and they stop. Elijah takes off his mantle, his cloak, his outer, whatever it is, garment, leather garment or something. He rolls it up and he hits the water with it. And when he hits the water with it, the water divides, left and right. We should try this after church, shouldn't we? <clears throat> it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> Charlie said it's a long way to the Jordan. Yeah, I know. You leave now, you'll get there. <laughs> the water divides and they go across on dry ground. What does that remind you of? The Red Sea. When the Red Sea was divided, they went out of Egypt. What else does it remind you of? Joshua chapter 3. That happened again. The Jordan River was parted and they entered the land. Elijah and Elijah are not entering the land, they are leaving the land. Elijah is prophetically demonstrating this is what's going to happen to Israel. The exile is coming. Judgment is coming. You have not repented. You have not changed your ways. There's that image of that going on in here. We'll come to that in a moment. When they crossed over, Elijah then says, remarkably to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? What a request. What can I do for you? Name it. And Elisha's already got the answer. I think Elijah is also testing him. What's in here? What's in your heart? What occupies your thinking and desires? What do you treasure? If you could ask me for anything, Elisha, what would it be? And Elisha nails it. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He gives a spiritual answer. I want a ministry like yours. He's not asking... You know, I want to be bigger and more important. He's not saying that. He's simply saying, I want to be as effective as you were in serving the Lord. I'd like a double portion of your spirit. To which Elijah says, whoops, that's kind of hard. It's a bit difficult. And then he says, prophetically, listen, if you see me when I am taken from you, it's coming. If you see it happen, then it'll be yours. If you don't see me, it won't happen. Elisha didn't blink from that point on. <laughs> As they're walking along, this is the last moment. As they are walking along and talking together, isn't that lovely? They're walking and talking. wonder what they were talking about. Would have been an interesting conversation. Suddenly, a chariot 
of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated them. So it went between them. Um, and Elijah gets caught up in this sudden gush of wind, this whirlwind. Whoosh, and he's taken up to heaven. And Elisha is watching him. The 50 sons of the prophets are also watching. I don't think they see the angels, the chariot and the fire. They just see the wind and they see him go up. And then they follow that up. Well, we'll see in a minute. Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father. That's an affectionate term. The chariots and the horses of, horsemen of Israel. And Elisha uh, didn't see him anymore. In Psalm 68, the angels are referred to as chariots. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the angels are referred to as winds and as fire. Normally they are invisible, but this is an angelic manifestation, angelic appearance. The angels come and gathered up Elijah and took him into the master's presence. He never passed through death. Like Enoch, the only other man before him did not die, but was instantly transformed straight into the Lord's presence. Of course, we all read about Elijah in the New Testament, the end of the Old Testament and also into the New Testament. And the book of Revelation, there's a very interesting reference to two witnesses. One of them sounds like Moses and the other one has the ability to call fire down from heaven. That sounds like Elijah. Perhaps the Lord isn't finished with Elijah yet. But anyway, it's a, you know that hymn, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? That's what it's referring to. It comes out of this passage. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to take me home. It's a beautiful old hymn, don't sing it. Elisha then does this. He picks up Elijah's cloak. As Elijah is caught up in a gust of wind and taken heavenward, his, garment, his um, coat, cloak, comes off and floats back down to the earth, lands in front of him. And Elisha picks it up. It's the prophetic mantle. It's the very same cloak that Elijah had placed on Elisha back in 1 Kings 19. He threw it on him. He said, let, let me first go and say goodbye to my mum and dad, and then I'll come and follow you. And Elijah takes back his cloak. Some versions translate it as, what have I done to you? A better translation, I think, is, by all means, go and do that, and then come, and don't forget what I have done to you. Don't forget you are now called to be a prophet. And that's what exactly Elisha does. So he takes the cloak, fallen back, he picks it up, he wraps it up just like Elijah did. And he does exactly the same thing. He smacks the water with it and he asks this question. Not where is Elijah, where is the, Lord, the God of Elijah? And he performs exactly the same miracle, thus demonstrating that he now has the prophetic mantle and the ministry will go on. When God's servants leave, however that happens, whether they die or they move on, God's work goes on. We focus on individuals and we think we can't do it without them. None of us are indispensable. Elijah is gone and Elisha is here. There's also the schools of the prophets with hundreds of young men and women probably ready to be prophets in the Old Testament. And there were the 7,000 that God had promised that would not bow the knee to Baal. God has his own succession plan. Well, how does all of this relate to us? Well, there's certainly a picture for our future in terms of if we are alive and the Lord Jesus returns, then we, like Elijah, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, the rapture. 
So then it'll be Enoch and Elijah didn't die and any believer in the Lord Jesus who was alive when the Lord Jesus returned, sound of the trumpet and then boom, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be transformed and raptured, raised up. You'll meet the Lord in the clouds, the scripture says. And then there was the resurrection. The resurrection happens, I think, first those who died in Christ, they'll be raised first and then the rapture. It'll be glorious. There's a picture of that pointing forward. Um, the passage also causes us to think about our own mortality. Elijah knew that his time was coming. He knew the last day. We know that we are going to die unless the Lord returns. We know we're going to go through this experience and we should be ready for it. We should prepare for it. We prepare for retirement. We prepare for... Um, we prepare holidays, we prepare in all sorts of ways, you know, downsizing and got your own bucket list and uh, we prepare to look after our health and all of that's sensible and we should do it and should be doing it. We need to plan further ahead. I don't mean just plan your own funeral. I mean plan after that. What happens then? As I said to somebody recently, we're all going to die. And when you die... Forget about heaven and hell. But life does go on. And think in terms of when you die, you either go to be with God, that's what we would call heaven, with God, or if you're living your life now without God and you don't want anything to do with God, then God's not going to make you go to his place. When you die, you'll go to another place where God isn't, without God, which is what you want. It's our choice. Which way do you want to go? And to my friend, who not a believer yet, he said, well, I guess the logical thing is to say, I, I want to go to be with God. <laughs> Good choice. The only way to get to be with God is through Jesus. There is no other way. Not by being religious, not by being Baptist, not by being a member of a church, none of that. You've got to know Jesus personally. So what does all this mean for us? Well, we should finish well. I think there's a lesson. If you're older, finish well. If you're younger, follow well, like Elisha did. Live one day at a time. For the, live for the Lord Jesus. Follow him every day. Every day. Start today. Follow him this morning. Follow him this afternoon. Follow him tonight. And live each day as if it's your last. Don't be foolish and reckless, I don't mean that, but I mean enjoy it. Enjoy today. Plan ahead and keep serving God. I think they're the main lessons for us. I'm going to pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, for this story of Elijah. And thank you that he finished well. Can you help us to do the same? To walk with you each day, to be conscious serving you, aware of the conversation, the relationships we have. Use us, Lord, in those contexts. Help us to be good influences in our families, both especially parents and grandparents. Bless our kids and help them to come to know you and follow you. Yeah. Lord, we commit you, ourselves to you to this end, and we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.